chapter 6. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus is talking about um, a real problem that many of us have, which is worry, 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 anxiety. And he has this ridiculous notion that we shouldn't worry. He somehow doesn't get life. And he says, don't worry, be happy. But unlike the song that says that, and I quite like that song just because it's cheeky, but uh, he says, the reason I tell you not to worry is because there's somebody who's actually worrying for you. So he says to them in verse 25 of chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? That's a bit of a downer. Then what are we going to do? The pagans run after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I would suggest that most of our lives are spent worrying about what we eat, what we wear, what we drink, what we do. I figure that that's probably the, the main thing we spend our time doing, don't you? Did it occur to you that the disciples who followed Jesus had to, had to say, I'm going to choose to trust my family and my life to God uh, because to follow Jesus means I actually have to give him time. The bottom line of what I want to discuss and to share this morning is saying, really according to that worship video that we saw earlier, which is, um, we have time to do what we want to do. We do what we want to do, everybody does. And we all have the same amount of time. And so how we spend our time is pretty much the fruit and the, and, and the truth of what we worship, of what is important to us of our level of faith. And I've been thinking, I want to spend some time talking about Paul, the, uh, Saul, you know, Saul, the guy who was uh, changed but, uh, and wrote many of the letters uh, in the New Testament. I want to talk about Saul, uh, who became Paul, and his writings over the next, I don't know, year or two. But I can't talk about Paul without talking about Stephen. And I can't talk about Stephen without really spending some time talking about the enormous courage of those first disciples. 
And the trouble is, talking about the enormous courage of the first disciples can be very uncomfortable for us because it's very hard to talk about this topic without coming under conviction. And it's very hard for me to talk about it without you feeling like I'm accusing you, which I'm not doing. I'm talking to myself. But Christianity has become, in our culture, so much part of just the fringes of what we do rather than the core. And worship is about singing songs rather than living life. And if you're around the kind of job that I do for long enough, you find that stuff around church gets fitted in and many, many times people say, I'm just too busy, I'm too tired. And I'm not sure what to do with that. Because I think it means I'm too busy worrying and I'm too busy getting my stuff to eat and drink and clothes to wear and food on the table. I'm too busy taking care of that myself. So I don't have time for God in any way that says, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's very hard to speak to that. I looked at Paul and uh, Paul's writings and Paul was a man who, who was rooted in religion. He was rooted in the Jewish faith. He grew up around Jerusalem. His, his mentor was a guy called Gamaliel who was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Paul was about five years younger than probably Jesus was. He would have been in Jerusalem at the same time as Jesus. Some of us say, oh, I, I wish I was there at the time of Jesus. Well, Paul was there. There were a lot of people who were there. And what they saw when they saw Jesus was an upstart, somebody who was not traditional, somebody who broke all the rules and was a rebel. And so Paul under Gamaliel rose, uh, what he received, even as they watched Jesus probably from a distance, he couldn't have missed him, was he's defying the Jewish faith. He needs to die. And so Saul grew up as a man passionately for God in a religious form. And every fiber of his being said, this is what I believe. Every fiber of his being said, this is truth. This is the word of God and this is how it's interpreted. And that peasant from Nazareth is way off beam. Jesus, we haven't got time, but he, you know, he lived. He certainly moved in and out of the temple in Jerusalem. He had this band of people growing up around him. He was healing the sick and he was doing many miracles that got people talking, quite understandably. Um, because there's nothing like actually seeing something happen to verify some things. And Jesus had this band of followers and eventually, I, we won't go through the story, he goes to the cross. And he dies on the cross. And when he goes to the cross just outside Jerusalem, he dies there. And as he's dying, he sees, a, he sees a, a thief who's dying with him. And the one mocks him and the other one says, don't mock him, this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus, he just says to him, the dying man, the dying thief, cries out to Jesus and says, uh, remember me. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And right to his last breath, Jesus is actually looking out for other people. 
And the centurion who stabs him to see that he's dead says, surely this is the Son of God. Because this man who spoke and who, who's, who, who poured out his life over people, uh, the people who watched him die were struck at the way he died. And there's one theme that's running through what I'm saying today, and that is that people are watching you. And the, most, the moment, when, when life is most tough for you, and when life is most difficult, is where it is most clear who you worship. The reason why this place isn't packed with people from Port Alberni, because Port Alberni is a desperate city. I mean, people are desperate in this town. It's got the highest single mother rate. It's got one of the highest alcohol and drug addiction rates in, in the country. People are desperate here. They need something more than the stuff that they have. But I'm not sure whether people see enough of Christians who die well. What I mean by that is make sacrifices. Go out of their way. Go into places where other people see you doing things extraordinarily differently and says, why are you doing that? There's nothing in this for you. I'm not sure they see that enough in us. And Jesus was put in the grave and he rose from the dead, as we know, and he appeared to over 500 people. And then he told his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem until they'd received power. They'd received the power that he had when he was human. They received the power of his spirit to do the extraordinary things that he did and, and grow in extraordinary character as he had. Because he said, you can know all about me, but you can't actually do the things I did unless I live in you. You can't do what Jesus asks us to do in your own strength. But two people can't fly a plane at the same time. Two people can't drive a car at the same time. One has to submit. And the life of Jesus is about who is leading. The fruit of Jesus is about the quality of life that is manifest in the midst of ordinary everyday life. And I'm thinking about this because... I read of the disciples and I turn into Acts because I'm thinking about turning to, you know, talking about Paul. And I get to Acts chapter 6. And it's where Stephen, these, well, let me, let me back up here. Um, Acts chapter 5. These guys have, the Holy Spirit has come on them, all right? They had this wonderful meeting and they all sang in tongues and that was the rest of it. Now they go home and every week they meet in the upper room and they sing in tongues and they worship and that's what Jesus died for, right? But. Of course not. So they, <laughs> so they go into the temple area, they go into the marketplace, they go into places, they go out into places and they start speaking about this one who has risen. Now that's their culture, so that's their, their, their normal place they'll go. They go out into places and they start declaring Jesus is Lord. 
And what happens, this is the leadership. This is not just everybody. This is the leadership. And they go out into uh, the places that they, they heal people. They do miracles. And in the process of doing miracles, they get locked up in prison. And they get drawn up because the Jewish leadership was very strong. They get drawn up in front of the leaders. And these guys like Peter and James and John get stood up there and they say, you're just uneducated people. And they turn around and they say, but we can't do anything other than what we are doing right now. Well, then we're going to flog you. And they say, well, flog us. And the guys who say we're going to flog you look at them and say, what's in you? And they go, Jesus is alive and you can kill me if you want. Have you ever been to that kind of place? Has Jesus ever risen in you to the point where you go, I'll do whatever it takes? I think it's easier to stand before a group and receive a flogging than it is to necessarily suffer for Jesus in our culture. I don't know... I have my only experience is my experience. I, I remember in the early 70s walking in front of machine guns in Cape Town. I remember as a student walking into the center of Cape Town, 10,000 people tear gas and guns because of Jesus, and going, "Well, do I believe this?" And then I go, "But there's nothing else." And there's something exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. And walking up and helmeted police are sitting where, standing where Pat is. And they've got guns, I mean guns and, and leashes on dogs that are, are really trying to get a piece of you. And you're saying, there is nothing I can bear witness to other than what you're doing is wrong. And Jesus calls us to say, we need to stand up for those who don't have. Oh God, please don't let them shoot. What will it take for God to stir us up to say, will you stand for me in your own life? What will you give up? What will you risk? What will you deny yourself so that my name will be glorified in this valley or in your life? And in the process of the Holy Spirit being poured out and people being healed, these guys were flogged and they came back after being flogged. And you read nothing in, the, in, in, in Acts about them saying, oh man, look at my wounds. That's what I find amazing. There's no reference to their suffering. They just kind of carry on. And all you hear is they counted it such joy that they were flogged like Jesus. I mean, how crazy is that? And yet, so when they do, it says so. You think I'm joking? It's in verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They'd just been flogged for that thing and they said, fine, let's go again. Our God is faithful, he is true, and if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. The one we follow, look what happened to him. Get a life, let's go. That's what they did. Little wonder 
that people said, what is in these guys? And they said, well, it's Jesus. He's given me life. There's nothing worth living for. And so many, many came to know Jesus because of the courage and the audacity and the power that was manifest in these men and women who said, Jesus is Lord. He is the one I worship. And then in the midst of that, there was an argument about who should feed the widows. The widows were being uh, overlooked, and the Hebrew Jews were concerned, and the Greek Jews were, were being accused of... Uh, well, the Grecian Jews among them complained that the Hebrew Jews were being... Uh, the Hebrew Jews were basically being favored, and the Greek Jews weren't being. And so the apostles came together, the guys with scars on their backs and blood on their tunics, they came together and they said, well, it's not good for us to just uh, do this right now, so other people are going to have to do that. So they said, just pick on seven guys and get them to do it. It's only looking after tables. Of course, they didn't say that. They said, I want you to pick seven people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who love Jesus, who know Jesus, and those are going to be the guys. You see, they didn't say the five different levels of Christianity. They said, you're either in it or you're out. We want guys that are in so they came. They got seven of them. And one of them was Stephen. And Stephen was humble enough to say, I'll, I'll serve at his table. I'll serve. What do you want me to do? Here I am. So Stephen said, absolutely, I'm available. I'll help the widows sort out their food. Now, I guess Stephen had, he might have been a young man. I think of Jesus going to the cross. I think of Jesus living his life up until 30. What do you think it cost him? Just to keep it real. Jesus is 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. There's some cute girls in town. Dad, I want to get married. You can't, son. Why? Because it wrecks up the plan. What do you mean? Because then there are half of us and half of you running around and it gets complicated. So you can be fully human, but you can't get married. Yeah. Well, I talked around, the, you know, the guys are talking. Girls are cool. See, do you, do, you, do you sanitize Jesus so that he doesn't actually have any sexuality, for instance? Do you think it was cool for him to be 30 years old and never be married? and never have a girl? Do you think Mary, who was a prostitute for years, in her walk into wholeness didn't come on to him? Have we got it so sanitized that we think that's not part of the scheme, part of the stuff that happens? And he goes, no, no, no. He makes choices. No. Why? Because my father says so. But it's not fair. We'll see in the big scheme whether it's fair or not, but this is what I give up for you. Jesus sacrificed much more than just going to a cross so that you and I would know God's love as Father. And so Stephen must have had a family. He must have had brothers and sisters. He must have had a girlfriend or he might have been married. We don't know. But he was available to serve because something had touched his heart and his life. And he served in those tables. And there came a point where in that serving of the tables, 
there were challenges because Stephen was also powerfully used in ministry and it says there in verse uh, 6 now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs you see the praying for healing was not just for the clergy that's the devil's church it's not God's church there are no positions in the kingdom everyone gets to play everybody can pray for the sick what's happened in the western church is five people get paid to be Christian and the others watch and say just bring us along with you and give us some teaching every week we'll get on with our lives and we'll make sure we're okay and you do it for us and then we'll come every week and you just sort of tell us what God's saying and we'll feel good and then we'll go home again and we'll do the stuff that's busy and worrying because you don't understand we've got to make a living but we'll pay you right that's how it works humor me if the cap fits wear it if it doesn't chunk it everyone gets to play everyone gets called everyone is called into this thing called life and ministry and Stephen was serving at tables and healing the sick and proclaiming the power of God and it got into him into trouble and the opposition arose and Stephen was called in front of them and I don't have time to go through it but if you read the next uh, pages you hear about Stephen's enormous compassion and grace as he actually then declares the history of Christendom the history of Judaism as it's fulfilled in Jesus he must have been quite a remarkable man and he goes right through this whole history that he's telling the people they know it all and I think Saul is listening because Saul is into this kind of thing let's kill these guys debate them to the death but we're right and so Stephen delivers this um, account of why is Jesus the one I am serving right now and then he comes to the end and this is where his mother probably said Stevie shut up she probably wasn't there but look what he says he, he, he's finished this thing and he says to them you stiff-necked people listen to the religious leaders of Jerusalem you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears you are just like your fathers you always resist the Holy Spirit was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now you have betrayed and murdered him you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but not, have not obeyed it he could have not said that if you want to be a member of our ministerial in this town don't say things like that if you want to have people come to your church don't say things like that don't say that part and the response was they gnashed their teeth and Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed out and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep.
and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Stephen, what does his mother think? What does his brother think? What does his sister think? What does his father think? What do his friends think? Did he leave a girlfriend saying, why was that? A young man killed because he spoke to the leaders and he looked them in the eye and he said, you're so far from God. You're so far from God and I'm not going to bow the knee to you. It matters that Jesus is proclaimed to be God and he's going to be God of my life and I'm not going to bow to you even if you kill me. And Stephen would never have known that his courage and his humility would actually open up the heart of a man who was intent on destroying him and every other Christian in Jerusalem. But I'm absolutely convinced that Saul, who watched, heard Stephen and who watched him die, God spoke to him. The way Stephen died is probably what brought Saul into the kingdom. And I ask myself, therefore, Lord, what do you want of me? Because the gospel we know, if we went through stories, there are many, many, many stories in the first few centuries of people who died because Jesus was Lord. And I say again, the hardest thing in a, in a culture of pluralism and apathy, it's much harder but I want to encourage you to, believe, to understand that the Christian life that you get to live is absolutely uh, parallel to the willingness you are to step into some suffering and step into some self-denial and step into saying, what does this really mean? And I promise you something else, it will never be private. Because if I'm left to privacy, I will tend to look after myself. I will tend to pamper myself. I will tend to make excuses for myself. This is not a God, about a God who is unkind, by the way. It's just about choosing life. So what does it mean for you to be a follower of Jesus today? What does it mean for you to say yes to him? And I don't know. That will be different for different people. But if you're looking for, a, for something that doesn't make any demands, then it's not Jesus you're following. You know, I sit on these topics and I reflect on them. I usually sort of start looking at them on Mondays. And it's amazing how often things come up over the week that begin just to help me illustrate what I believe God's trying to say. I went to a website of a, a couple who I have a lot of respect for, Isabel and um, Ivan Alam, who some of you went to the conference they did down outside Seattle not long ago, and they were in Toronto when I was there for a while. And they gave a prophetic word 
for out of uh, at the beginning of this year and I had not I hadn't seen it and I just actually read it yesterday and I thought as I finished today I'd read it because I think it captures what I'm having I have on my heart and my heart is basically God just calling us to more and offering us more but in the more there is also a call for us to give to sacrifice and I think particularly it's about time and energy it's about showing up it's about being too busy with stuff that doesn't matter and you have to search your heart about that and this is the word of, that God gave them. They said response, rewards and acceleration are three words that we have been hearing from heaven a lot for the season. For several months now, heaven has been shouting, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. That is an amazing invitation for everyone, men, women and children, young and old. Heaven is not looking for gifted and anointed people anymore, but for anyone and everyone who is willing and available. Today, gifts and anointing are simply tools to do the job at hand, not the thing that qualifies up, qualifies us. When there is a call like this, people work together in unity. The ruler and the peasant will stand side by side because it, because it is not about their individual ministries, but a, but a common goal, the advancement of the kingdom. Many are hearing this call from heaven and are responding, but more are needed. There are many who feel unqualified, rejected, inferior, and many have been passed by in the past. But you, put your name on there, are needed today and we can assure you that there is room for you. Perhaps you do not know what you can do, but be sure that something will be given to you. Those who respond to this call will receive a new portion from heaven. The re rewards of stewardship are ready to be released. For centuries, heaven has been collecting the talents that many have buried or dropped on the ground and they have been given to those who are willing to invest them. In this season, more will be added to those who respond to this call from heaven. We will get to do things that we never thought were possible for ordinary people like us. Therefore, do not look at what you can do, but be ready to receive the more that God is for you. As a result of this, you will see your unfulfilled promises come to pass because most of those promises are for the building and advancing of the kingdom of God. Then as you respond and receive the new talent, supernatural acceleration will overtake you. You will be propelled forward into your destiny. The promised land is now at hand. The waters have parted and we can walk in. Yes, there are giants to fight in order to possess it, but their protection has been removed from them, so do not be afraid. This is a season of corporate breakthrough, but you have to become violent and take it forcefully. The tomorrow we have been waiting for has become today. There is no more time to wait. There is excitement in heaven because the revealing of the children of God is taking place. Heaven is investing on earth like never before and there is room for everyone who wants to become active and participate. Many, may you have ears to hear the call from heaven, all hands on deck. May you be courageous to respond and are violent for the kingdom and your destiny. May you collect the rewards of stewardship that are being released and see supernatural acceleration come into your lives and circumstances. Heaven is calling you. And Father, I just pray as we break bread together that your spirit will excite us with the promises that you give us right now. All I have is yours. says the Father, all I have is yours. 
Holy Spirit, will you show us how we respond to that? Do we say to you, Lord, all I have is yours, or do we qualify it? And we just ask that wherever we are, Jesus, you will so touch our lives and hearts that our desire will be that we would give you all that we have. And in giving you all that we have and risking all we have with you, we would have the joy and the privilege of seeing you working in us and through us. And I pray that you take away from us the fear of death. I pray you take away from us the fear that drives us to make sure in case you don't come through. I pray that we will grow in our trust of you as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.